Hey, everyone, this is Matt. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know we're going to be bringing the Over the Edge podcast live to Edge Computing World on October 14th, 2020. We'll be recording live episodes from the event. The folks at Edge Computing World have given our listeners a generous 30% discount. So if you're interested in going, head on over to edgecomputingworld.com and use promo code Over the Edge. There's also a direct link in the show notes. That's Over the Edge, one word for 30% off. Hello, and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Gavin Whitechurch, co-founder of Edge Computing World and COO and co-founder of Topio Networks. Gavin is a technology analyst, media executive, and entrepreneur who started Topio Networks and the Edge Computing World Conference to serve as industry catalysts, helping to nurture the industry and accelerate the markets for edge computing, IoT, mobility, and more. In this interview, Gavin uses his overarching perspective on the edge landscape to give insights about where the industry is headed and how the market for edge solutions is evolving. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and Zenlayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is Catchpoint. Catchpoint gives critical knowledge to help optimize the digital experience of your customers and employees. Learn more at catchpoint.com and sign up for a free trial. And now, please enjoy this interview between Gavin Whitechurch, co-founder of Edge Computing World and COO and co-founder of Topio Networks, and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hi, this is Matt Trefiro, CMO of Edge Infrastructure Company Vapor.io and co-chair of the Linux Foundation's State of the Edge project. Today, I'm here with Gavin Whitechurch. Gavin is the co-founder of Edge Computing World and the COO and co-founder of Topio Networks. We're going to talk to Gavin about his career as a technology analyst, his role in the edge industry, and his views on everything IoT, Edge, and beyond. Hey, Gavin, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Matt. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super. I appreciate you coming on. So, you know, the way I like to start these interviews is to to tackle some of your background. And one of my favorite questions is, how did you even get into technology? <laughs> well, I'm not a technologist by background. I'm actually um, a graduate psychologist, right? And actually, I knew I didn't want to be an applied psychologist when I when I left university, but uh, I didn't know quite what I wanted to do. So I kind of fell into, into technology, got involved in an admin job at the Institution of Electrical Engineers. That's like the British equivalent of the IEEE. Found myself surrounded by the new wave of technology and mobile technology and uh, deregulation and lots of explosion of stuff going on. So it was a really fascinating time, and I just loved all the all the change, all the things happening every year, and you know the communications industry just exploding. So it's really fun. And I'm guessing from the accent that you're not originally from America, even though that's where you are right now. Uh, yeah, no, born and bred in the UK. Most of my life and my career in the UK, actually, just uh, I washed up here about seven years ago. Uh, I came out here to start a business for my then employer, Informa, which is actually, you won't know the brand probably Informa, but it's the world's largest business-to-business information provider. Yeah, actually, I'm aware of Informa. You compete with them now. Yeah, in a way, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, talk, let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about Topio Networks and Edge Computing World. What's the origin story? Um, so the the origin is just really, I mean, my what I've done with Informa for people who don't understand how businesses like that work is, you know, we've been at the I've been at the forefront of opening up new technology sectors for a long while. So, like I, I referenced a little earlier, 
all the phases of mobile development, broadband development. I was involved in short-range wireless technology when nobody knew what Bluetooth was, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I've always been helping foster communities and foster the emergence of of new technologies. And, you, you know, I, I love that area. And then sort of getting involved with Philippe Cass, who's my co-founder. Philippe had a, a really interesting uh, approach to fostering entrepreneurs and wanting to educate entrepreneurs um, around markets for free. And he had some AI-based tools for doing that and and a really interesting sort of technology approach. So it's the coming together of um, Philippe's interest in, in educating entrepreneurs from his VC background and my interest in developing communities and, and how to help new technology markets emerge. Yeah, and edge computing is certainly a new technology market and edge computing world for those in the audience that aren't aware of it is what I would consider the premier trade show on edge computing. Mm-hmm. This is your second year that you're doing Edge Computing World. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So tell us about the origins of Edge Computing World and how you approached that show. Before I came to Edge Computing World, I was kind of immersed in the IoT space. And if you're immersed, immersed in IoT, you have a particular lens on Edge Computing. I guess you see it as one, one perspective of Edge Computing. But when I stepped back from that, I really started to understand how broad the applications of edge computing are and how, and how strong the implications are as well and, and how disruptive the technology is going to be in terms of market structure and you know the players in the market and, and the whole infrastructure. So it seemed like a really interesting space to, to focus on and it's related to, to lots of strong technology market sectors including obviously cloud computing so cloud computing is a major component of it. But what we felt you know the state of the market when, when we came to the space was that there was clearly a big opportunity, but it wasn't very well understood, even by the people involved in, in the marketplace. You know, everyone... I'm, with the exception of the state-of-the-edge purveyors. Yeah, with the state-of-the-edge purveyors, and, the, you know, there's, there's some advanced thinkers in the space. Yeah, but, I mean, this is where, you know, you and I started talking about because we, we both sort of saw the, the opportunity there, but there is definitely a, a phase of education that markets have to go to, and even people within the market can see what they're doing, what's right in front of them, but they can't understand the overall context. And edge computing was being discussed in a bunch of different silos. You know, so you'd have the mobile edge computing guys and you'd have the hyperscale guys and you'd have the far edge guys, you know, the device edge guys and the and the edge chip guys. You know, all of these all of these different spaces hadn't really been pulled together. And and when you start to knit together the whole picture, then you actually see how massive the opportunity is. Uh, and that's really what we felt we could offer uniquely to the market is in terms of the event anyway is, is bringing together a space for all of those um uh, all of those different sections of the market to, to share their knowledge and ideas and how to take the market forward yeah and you know last year i was at the show it was a terrific show i did some great networking some great talks but i imagine being confronted with covid19 and social distancing and whatnot mm-hmm. has had quite an effect on the event industry can you tell us how you're approaching edge computing world this year yeah sure i mean it's interesting times right and we're all learning lots of things about um how we do business in in the new covid environment for events it, it really changes things on the head a little bit but there's some great opportunities uh, that, that uh, arise from doing an event virtually rather than doing physically physical events aren't going to be with us for some while i suspect and we can maybe talk a bit about that later. But um, in terms of Edge Computer World, you know, it's going to be a four-day-long event, which when you when you run a virtual event, you can take the opportunity to explode the different elements and run it over a slightly longer timescale because you're not constrained by 
trying to get the value out of one single venue which you paid for and one set of catering that you paid for. The other thing that you know is really interesting about virtual events is you're removing barriers of travel time and cost, right? So actually the market can become much, much larger. And so that, like serving that mission, you know, that we spoke about earlier, the the mission of actually just educating the, the total market, it, you know, that really gives us a, an opportunity. And we've got a free, completely free element of the event we call the Edge Developers Conference. But it's actually, it's probably broader than just a developer's piece. It's really educating people about what um, edge computing is and, and how to get involved in it and who they can work with to accelerate their entry into the space and, and that's where we're working with people like the linux foundation and openstack and eclipse foundation and others so i, th- I think most people understand how uh, a trade show typically works you have people mm-hmm. that pay to attend some people that don't pay to attend you said you had a free developer day sponsors and exhibitors that pay you but you have this whole other side to your business which is under the topio networks brand can you tell us who the customer for that is and what services that provides yeah so i mean we're a, an information company and also a technology company, right? So we've got um, AI at our heart and we're using AI to power disruptive style of delivering business information. So we're actually using it to generate uh, high quality business information, volume along with human curation. And so that gives us a, a couple of things that we can do to, to innovate in terms of our business model. The first is that we actually provide a lot, a hell of a lot of information just for free on the on the Topia Networks platform. So what other sort of established names might want to charge you a lot of money for, you can actually go on to topianetworks.com, just sign up, and you can get access to a huge amount of corporate information, analysis on the marketplace. We organize it in terms of the landscapes, which is where the word Topia comes from. It's Greek for landscape, right? And we talk about landscapes as views of markets. And so in the edge computing space, we're tracking 830 companies daily in edge computing, ingesting into the platform and and organizing all the information around that. And you can see financing deals, leadership, compare one market to the the next. You can really see what's going on within that that market. And that really helps entrepreneurs to, to orientate. In terms of paid services, well, we're using that same AI engine to educate and uh, provide a very, very focused, a very rich information for which we provide advisory services, right? So we can help companies to understand what exactly is the competitive landscape around them in a very, very rich and detailed way when they're looking at the, like the micro segments that they're entering around the fourth industrial revolution. Right? And the fourth industrial revolution is rich with opportunity, but also very complex, right? So you're talking about lots of different vertical markets, lots of different use cases, lots of different technologies, all of these things make the market very complex. And we can help companies understand their orientation within that. And then beyond that, we're doing thought leadership, lead generation, the sort of sort of things that you know companies need to, to get their traction in the marketplace. Overall, it's kind of a, it's a business acceleration offer. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the, the topics that you and I have discussed at length is open source. And one of the things that's really impressed me about the thought that you and Philippe have put into this business is you've taken an open source approach to information. And to some extent, we've also done that at the State of the Edge. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested to have you describe how you view your contribution and relationship to open source and how you're using that both to grow your business, but also to grow the ecosystem. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I just kind of describe this as open source inspired when I think about our, our, our business model. And so there was definitely a, a desire to 
educate the market, accelerate the market by giving everyone a certain amount of information, right? So a rising tide floats all boats, and that's all things that we learned from the success of, of open source, that you have a base level of collaboration, understanding, then, then everything moves faster. Uh, and so our, our contribution to that is is just to provide this business information piece, a certain level of education, you know, which is actually pretty rich. You, you can get quite a lot of information there. And then as a, a Red Hat might have done in its early days, you, you're laying on the advisory services on, on, on top of the basic access to information. Yeah. It is analogous to an open core model in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch that you're providing for free and you're also layering um, your paid services on top of it. Yeah, yeah. If people just want to use the open source services, the open access business information, as we describe it, they're, they're very welcome to do that. You know, there's no charge, no monetization involved in that. And, uh, you know, the the inspiration comes from when Philippe, my co-founder, was uh, he was a VC for 25 years, often very early, early stage companies he was working with, just a couple of guys in a garage. And, and he, his observation was that they always knew huge amount about their technology and what they were doing in their in their garage but beyond the walls of the garage they had very little information about what was going on in the wider marketplace and that's the gap that we're filling there for for people we're helping people to understand the market context around them yeah and as i mentioned at the top of the show i'm the co-chair of the state of the edge project and hopefully by the time this publishes this will be public news and so we won't cut this section out (laughs) but topia networks is a media partner of the Linux Foundation's LF mm-hmm. Edge, which Stay of the Edge is a part of, and you're doing a lot of things with Stay of the Edge. And I wanted to point out that an example. So Linux Foundation under my project, it maintains a landscape and you also maintain a landscape. And so on the surface, those would be, those would seem competitive. Like they're mm-hmm. both trying to, to solve the same problem, which is a visual representation of the companies in, in the ecosystem. And rather than seeing that as a competitive threat, you saw it as an opportunity and approached us and are aligning your taxonomy with the Linux Foundation's taxonomy and providing some of Topio's information to the to the Linux Foundation's audience, but in a very sort of authentic and collaborative way. And I think it's, it's pretty unusual. I, I, I don't know of any or open source organization or open source project that's that's doing that. Yeah, no, it's a, the intention is to, as you say, is to provide a, a Linux Foundation dashboard or if you like a white label dashboard on, onto the Topia platform where within that walled garden, Linux Foundation members can access deep information about what's going on in the landscape, in the collection of companies that are involved in LF Edge, for instance, in this case. And then, you know, there's deeper information available beyond that. But certainly, you know, there'll be lots of news about all of those companies all of the all sourced through the same AI engine and, and, and human curation piece, news analysis, deep company information about what's going on within that space. Yeah, that's nice. You know, being being someone who's very close to a large amount of information that you're sifting through and curating and becoming aware of, what are some of the changes that you've seen over the last couple of years that you've been, you know, focused on edge computing? I mean, it's a fascinating space, right? And I mean, you've been involved much longer than I, Matt, so you, you can probably see the genesis going back a, a, a long way. But, you know, I, I see this increasing maturity in the market, increasing understanding of what edge computing offers. So I think, you know, particularly in the last year, there's much, much greater awareness uh, in the technology market of, of, of why edge computing is important and, and what uniquely it offers, offers um, to developers and to technology companies. I think for end-user companies, 
we're just at the start of their learning curve. I think the earliest adopters are bringing edge computing to, to play, but others are doing edge computing without really focusing on, on that space quite so much. Um, so we're in an educational phase that they're not so aware of um, how they're using all that it's edge computing that they're using in, to implement certain things. Yeah, one of the things that that um, struck me about your approach to edge computing world, which I liked quite a bit, uh, especially once I understood it, and that is you like to very heavily weight the presentations with end users. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a lot of sense because we've all been to these trade show events that are all vendors speaking to vendors and yeah. they're kind of insufferable. So what are some of the exciting end users that you're going to be showcasing? Uh, thanks. I mean, yeah, end users drive everything in the, in the market, right? So everyone wants to understand what the end users are doing. And we've got uh, a huge range of keynotes and track presentations that focus uh, around end users. We're hearing from senior executives from Boeing, from Toyota, from GE Healthcare, from the US Air Force, and, and from Rakuten Mobile, which is, I'm sure, as you know, have a very interesting approach to, to edge computing and virtualization in, in the mobile space. So, you know, Satan Yadav is the chief digital officer of, of Boeing. Amifandis um, is the chief digital officer of GE. And Kanichi Morata, who's actually the general manager of Connected Cars for Toyota in Japan. And he also chairs the Automotive Edge Computing Consortium, which is the body that's focusing um, just on this space. And then, you know, we have a, a huge range of companies involved like Maersk, Gap, Kroger, uh, obviously, the carriers like Verizon, Cox, Rakuten, car manufacturers like Hyundai, Mercedes-Benz, uh, BMW, and a huge range of oil and gas and huge range of technology companies. We've also got some great luminaries from inside the technology space, and uh, one we're particularly proud of is, is Liputan, actually, who's who I would say is the foremost investor in edge computing as, as an individual. He's the uh, founder and managing partner of um, WRVI Capital and the chairman of Warman Inter- International, and, and he's personally invested um, and through those vehicles, probably in some of the largest edge computing success stories in the last few years. So let's talk about end use cases. You know, back when I entered this industry, the use case that everybody talked about was autonomous cars. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it was approachable. It was a hot thing. Waymo was new. Mm -hmm. It was sort of this magical idea that you could, you know, get into an Uber without a human driving you and and I think autonomous cars have definitely taken a backseat. Everybody's recognized it's going to take a long time before that's put out. And there's a lot of other applications that maybe are a bit more prosaic, but actually have a, a really clear ROI. Can you help connect the dots for some people? What are some of the the like specific use cases that you're seeing that are are now capturing people's imagination that are more on the, well, this is practical. We're going to roll this out side of the business. Yeah, well, the, the, the practical and maybe more prosaic ones, are, you know, we're perhaps doing it now. You know, some of the video conferencing things you're seeing and certainly gaming applications have, have been a big adopter of, of edge computing. And, and, you know, other video delivery applications are, are certainly where things have, have got started a little bit. And then when you go forward from there, maybe not autonomous cars, but autonomy more generally stretching into things like drones. So drones and robots used in a manufacturing environment. I mean, I think we're going to see, particularly in a warehousing environment. So that's just talking again about, you know, COVID as an opportunity. You know, we're seeing a huge growth in in interest in that kind of area. And, you know, retail, when you look at it as a sector, you might say is, well, clearly it's very challenged by, by COVID and was challenged already. But in terms of taking opportunities out of that, there there is a huge move, obviously, towards 
home delivery automation and those sort of things are are, are actually big edge computing use cases so kroger for instance we have talking in, in the show one of the things they're doing is working with a, a, a cardo a british company i happen to know I used to get my groceries delivered from a cardo every week in in london and um they have an automated warehousing solution with uh, roboticized pick and so on where they're, they're rolling out some specialized warehouses to do that. So very interesting stuff. What role do you see the cloud providers playing in edge computing long term? Well, they're going to have to, they will be playing a central role, perhaps a dominant role. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, that's probably the million dollar question, right? Yeah, I was I was hoping you had the answer. <laughs> if only, if only. Uh, it's a central question of debate. Well, what's what's the debate? Maybe you could frame the debate for the audience. Yeah, so I mean, the hyperscale cloud providers have a lot of strength in the market because they have certainly great relationships with the marketplace already. Great relationships with developers provide a lot of great developer tools and support those developers, and then they have great assets in terms of centralized data centers. And increasingly, they have more edgy and edgier offers, right? So they're, they're spreading out from those centralized data centers. And you'll see with AWS, things like Outpost, Snowflake, Wavelength, and et cetera, they're different offers. I think the when you look at this from a telco perspective, as another big player, for instance, the telcos, the telcos really see the opportunities there, but they also see uh, a danger of themselves getting disintermediated as they did with, say, TV. Like at one stage, the, the telcos thought they were going to look at Verizon in this country. They thought they were going to own the TV distribution networks, right? And eventually they just got disintermediated and Netflix came over the top and Amazon came over the top of them. So it's like, well, what exactly is the relationship that those players should have as, as key players? And and then I think there's a, um, from the rest of the market, you know, the ecosystem, great admiration and, and great respect for, for the, the hyperscale players. And maybe that's tempered with a little bit of you know, how much room is there for us us to play here? So it's being able to find the unique space, isn't it, for uh, within the within the market. And the market is kind of in, in big bag mode right at the moment, so there's plenty of space to, to move out to. But over time, we're going to see consolidation and we're going to see market opportunities being filled, that space being filled by bigger players and smaller players. So we still need to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that's happening in the market, and it's definitely going to have an impact, probably positive, on the telcos and the cloud providers, but it is requiring a little bit of a of a paradigm shift, and that is the distinction between cloud and on-prem is going away in many senses. It's certainly evolving, right? And you've got products like Outpost, which is cloud on-prem, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you've got you know, some of the use cases that we're seeing at Vapor.io, which we're calling near-prem, and that is why build a data center in your factory when somebody else has a data center that is a, you know, a 10-kilometer fiber run from you that, yeah. you know, you can lease space in. And so this distinction and this energy around that last mile network and the ebbs and flows of the data and the servers is is really interesting. I mean, do you have any any thoughts on the trend lines there and do you have any predictions? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say definitely the, the the hybrid. If you if you think of edge as part of hybrid cloud, which you can think of it as part of hybrid cloud, then you know that hybrid cloud model will extend almost to the the very far edge, right? But there's always going to be some some places where that hybrid cloud model can't reach, right? Yeah, certainly. So that's talking to the to, to the far device. But in terms of Predicting how that plays out, I mean, I think hybrid hybrid cloud will will dominate in some way. 
or we're going to see this, you know, the way I like to think of it is we're going to see a not a swing to the edge and not a swing centrally as it's been characterised much in the past, but much more of a distributed compute model, right, where the compute is just, it's in a variety of places depending on how close you need it, need it to be for various reasons uh, and you can place it in the pram, you can place it in the device or you can just, uh, you know, it can be at various places across the network right into the centralised data centre. But the way the market will move is to a, a much more distributed compute architecture and it'll get more and more distributed over the next two decades and i would say it's probably actually going to take two decades for that whole thing to to play out i think we're where we are now is like the early stages of mobile you know when we were talking about should this stuff be digitalized or something you know it's yeah. like all this, <laughs> well, I mean, 20, 20 years ago <laughs> i mean the internet was barely i guess it was the first crash of the internet right so yeah, yeah. 20 years ago but Compared to the internet today, it's a totally different animal. Yeah, and and it will become a, a totally different, much more personalized, much more immediate variety of different interfaces, right? So much richer interfaces, and all those things are going to need localized compute, and there'll be this whole what needs to be worked through over, over the period is how, where you need to place those workloads, how close they need to be to the user, and therefore what infrastructure can you create to put those workloads in? Yeah, now you mentioned you mentioned in your that your background started with with IoT in many uh, well prior to Edge you were you were involved with IoT and that to some extent you can kind of think of them together. So I I'm interested if you if you have any thoughts on how those two worlds are evolving together and what that means. Yeah, I mean uh, that's an interesting observation. I, I actually I view it that Edge is much broader than than IoT actually because Edge encompasses I mean, when you look at IoT workloads, you're, you're looking at digitization you know, of the fourth, the fourth industrial revolution stuff, but primarily in, in terms of making devices more connected, whereas edge computing cuts across other sectors, like we said, like gaming, like, like media. So it, it's, it's a broader, much broader frame, edge computing. And I think when you're thinking about it, edge computing, you're probably more focused around infrastructure and this change towards the distributed compute architecture that we we talked about. So IoT, I think, is is much further up its maturity curve, actually. So, you know, I was involved in IoT from 2014 or so, and it was one of those things that perhaps suffered from its own hype success, right? So people started to understand what it was and got excited about it and then suddenly expected it to be finished and done. It definitely had its trough of disillusionment. <laughs> but, it's, Whereas, but it's back on the upswing now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're now getting towards the large-scale deployments, right? In fact, we've run surveys that show that, you know, 2021 will probably be a, a massive, certainly pre-COVID, we're showing to be, you know, a massive year of adoption for widespread IoT. Uh, whereas edge computing is much more of a, a deep infrastructure play, and there's that's quite capital intensive. So I mean, hats off to Vaporio and what they're doing. I mean, that's a that's a big big structural play, right? Yeah, data centers data centers aren't cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> all, all of that stuff takes a while to to play out, to finance, to 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 manage, and then you know once you've got the data centers and more distributed data centers, then you've got all the networking pieces you've got to do around that. So, what's your take on the timeline? I, mean, I said like 10, 20 years. Are you are you thinking that uh, does that disappoint your investors if I say that? Do you think? Well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I think I mean, there's plenty of money to be made in the early days, right? Yeah, yeah. And 
you know, we certainly see most of the companies deploying equipment in our facilities are what I would call infrastructure companies. So they're not end users, but they have end users. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have cloud computers in edge locations in order for cloud developers to build edge applications that run on those cloud computers. So there is a little bit of a of a forward deploy to solve the chicken and egg problem. And we're definitely in that stage. And then I think the question is, how fast is that deployment going to happen? I mean, we're building out 36 cities in two years. So I think it's going to happen really quickly. But I also think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I think if we, 20 years from now, we look back, we'll see an arc that began you know, around this time and clearly extended until 20 years. But, you know, it's one of the one thing I want to come back to with IoT was people who have listened to the show know that I'm fond of saying, you know, we call this the third act of the Internet, which is how we sort of framed the evolution of the Internet in the State of the Edge report last year. And the big change between the second act and the third act is that we're moving from an Internet that was primarily people talking to computers. So that's me using a Google Doc or using Salesforce or playing on Facebook or messing around on LinkedIn or playing a video game or or whatever. And we're now moving into a world where the traffic on the internet will primarily be machines talking to machines. Mm-hmm. And the demands that machines have in terms of the amount of data that they can produce, how fast you want to try to extract data from that in order to deliver value, and how that's a competitive advantage, meaning if I have more accuracy on where my assets are or, or I've managed to reduce the cost of you know, some sort of robotic this or that, that those, those are driving fundamental changes in the structure of of the internet. And so when I think of IoT, I see it as the demand driver, not because of the internet of things because of all these like neat, you know, Apple watches and thermostats yeah. and stuff, but because we're going to have billions of these devices, many of them are going to be like 4K cameras and they're going to be generating an extremely large amount of data and you just can't afford to ship that data around. And again, it's got it's got a, a half-life, a value right? The longer it sits unanalyzed, the less value it is. Mm-hmm. So, so I see that being the primary driver of edge computing, the demand for edge computing. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, and I'm wondering, you know, we'd sort of come back to, to COVID. Uh, so I was asked just prior to this call, actually, I was asked if, if I've seen any impact on our business from COVID-19. And from a build data centers, get customers, do business, there's been very little impact. I mean, there's there's some fac- other people's facilities that we have to get into to do interconnection and stuff that maybe what used to take two days now takes 10 days because yeah. they can't have as many people in the facility. But largely, my business hasn't been affected because we're doing construction and trenching fiber and lighting networks. But what I have seen and I'm interested if you've also seen this, is you, know, you think about all these companies that you mentioned. You mentioned you know, there's, there's logistics, there's factories, there's farms, there's mining. Every single one of those companies has an automation strategy. And many of them that aren't early adopters have an automation strategy that like, you know, it's going to take them 10 or 15 years to implement, or maybe 20 years. Maybe that's your 20-year arc. What I, what I think COVID has forced people to do is to accelerate that spend. Yeah. I think there have been a lot of board meetings where they said, we need to reprioritize and accelerate this automation. And so I think this pandemic may significantly accelerate the deployment of edge computing because of the shift in capital expend- spending by the companies who will benefit from that automation. And I'm wondering if you've, you've seen anything like that as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on with that. So, yeah, we've spoken to a lot of companies that, that have said the same thing, that uh, automation is, is being uh, accelerated. And, um, you know, certainly there's a reprioritization in boardrooms and a, and a realization that digitization is, you know, is, I don't think it was ever considered a luxury, but it was not considered like number one priority, right? And, and now you've got to be much more robust as a business and we can see the impacts that COVID is in many ways accelerating that digital transformation and that automation pace. Let's talk about mining because I I don't actually know a lot about that. What what are some of the use cases in in mining for edge computing? Uh, well, there's quite a bit of autonomous control, safety control, those, those kind of things. Specialized logistics control. If you look at some of the big mines in Africa or Australia, right? They they've got actually those huge autonomous machines moving around, and you're you're doing predictive maintenance on those. You're doing control on those, and then sort of quality control as well. So understanding what's coming out of the ground and, and processing and focusing on getting to the getting to the gold, literally or figuratively, um, more rapidly, right? Yeah, and I imagine the same with oil and gas. It must be a very similar uh, type. Yeah, I mean, safety is always a primary driver, right? So particularly in oil and gas, there's uh, you know people are understanding, uh, you know, making sure that people are in the right place and, and just the extra layers of control, uh, and then beyond that, you've got drilling accuracy and. Uh, predictive maintenance. Predictive maintenance is always has been with IoT and, and with edge computing is kind of one of the things that gets deployed first. Safety is also another that gets deployed first. When you uh, when you look at this this imaginary twenty year arc of edge computing, and let's let's throw IoT in there as well. This twenty year arc of edge computing and IoT transforming our world. Is there is there a use case or a moment in time that you personally are excited to see realized? I mean, I. I think when I first got into this world of software running on devices, which was in the early 80s, actually, you know, I envisioned I wanted the Star Trek tricorder. Like, that's what I wanted. <laughs> and I, I almost have one. I, I've got a Galaxy Note 20 and it's almost it just it doesn't, you know, take all the vitals that I would want. It doesn't do my my EKG yet. But is there some imagined, you know, science fiction future that that you personally excited about? Yeah, I mean, the classic one is more like the, the Iron Man stuff, right, isn't it? So, you know, but really not in augmented reality that you don't really find intrusive, but actually helpful to you and just augments your, your daily. So what, what would that look like? What would that look like? Because there's a lot of people sort of, you know, it's uh, talk about things going through the trough of disillusionment. I think AR, VR is sort of in that space now. I mean, it's, yeah, if you've experienced it, it's magical, but it's it, it has yet to really catch on. What what are you what are you seeing there? And it's something that really needs edge computing, right? So, I mean, I just find if I go to Safeways and not being able to find where the peanut butter is or something, I find that drives me crazy, right? So why are you even in Safeway at all? Yeah, like, I don't know. They, they come to my house. They come to my house. Yeah. <laughs> or if I'm at a let's say I'm at a sporting match and I want the if I want to know the player stats. Fair enough. Like live live right. sports is yeah, it's not easily replicated. Yeah, but to, you know, just that kind of stuff that's going to help inform you, help help guide you around your your real life and enrich your real life, but without it being like super clunky and annoying, and you know, batteries dying on you all the time and all that kind of stuff. Which actually, you know, the battery life is something that's that's also going to come from help be extended by computing, right? Because if you've got the, you don't need to to drive the radio so much for so, so much distance, then it's going to help give you battery life strong. So a whole range of things around around that kind of stuff. Yeah, there was an interesting discussion I had, which I don't know if anybody's building such a thing. But you think about like you know the the popularity of Chromebooks now, 
with with students, especially the very inexpensive way to have what is a much better desktop computing experience than like the original Macintosh. And it's all done through a browser. It's, it's just absolutely magical, right? Like it's all delivered from servers with the exception of the browser. Browser is really the only application that runs on your Chromebook. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but really it, that's, that's mm-hmm. the application that runs. You're not running a word processor on your Chromebook. You're using a word processor through a browser. And there is, you know, a possibility of building a phone that's nothing but a touchscreen. It doesn't have any intelligence inside. And that yeah. all of the intelligence is delivered like Fortnite is. It's just pixels streaming to me and my input on the phone turning back. And, and I, you know, again, I don't know if that's really a practical application. I don't know if it's going to cost reduce enough. The, the, the battery impact of the radio is pretty significant. So it may not actually balance out. You may use more battery by pushing all those bits over the radio than you would actually drawing them on the display. But it, it, with this sort of ubiquitous edge computing that we see coming, there are a lot of ways to completely reimagine how we interact with our devices, right? I mean, why, why do I carry around a thing that looks like a phone that, you know, this is actually pretty heavy. Obviously, the people on the podcast can't see what I'm doing, but I'm lifting my phone up and down. You know, would I want that to be something I could fold up and put in my pocket, you know, that was the the thickness of a couple business cards? I mean, that would be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And the possibility exists that we could offload a lot of what has to go in a device today to a, you know, a, an edge computer running running cloud workloads. Yeah. Although, won't you always want to have some kind of edge computing pretty close to you? So doesn't your your edge computing become personalized? around your body in some way. So it's not going to be it's not going to be a, a mobile phone, which is what most people carry now. Is it going to be something else, some kind of something that looks like a credit card holder and then you run all your compute for whatever dies whatever functions you need around you. That's right. That's right. And I think that's one of the most interesting questions is you know, and you sort of alluded to this, which is which is we know we want to run workloads at the edge. We have a choice now where we want to run them. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm an enterprise, I can run my workloads on premises or I can run my workloads in an edge cloud. Yeah. And there are trade-offs to that. If I want to own a device that has a lot of processing power, you know, an iPhone 11, I can run a lot of the workloads on my iPhone, but I'm going to pay a price for that. I mean, one of them being the dollars I have to shell out to Apple. Also, the, the you know, potentially the battery life and, and a bunch of other things, the thickness, the form factor, things like that. And so it's going to be a really interesting, you know, people oversimplify this, you know, pendulum between... Yeah centralized and distributed, you know, client and server, right? And and I think it's going to be really interesting when really the client and server are almost next to each other. Mm-hmm. And your your choice, there's going to be other factors that come into the equation. And in fact, with containers, it may even be possible to run the same workload yeah. in both locations. And you just get to choose based on what's optimal at that point. If I'm in battery saving mode, run it, you know, in this location. If I'm not in battery saving mode, run it in this other location because I want performance. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like a three-dimensional Benjamin, like you, you know, you've seen those in the science museum. It's skipping around a bunch of different magnets. No, it's probably too visual to do on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I keep coming back to this twenty this twenty-year mark because you know I, I tend to think in these three to five-year increments, and I get the sense that you know while you're really bullish on edge computing, you might also think there's some irrational exuberance around that. I'm wondering if you could comment. Uh, that's that's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a rational exuberance. I mean, there there is exuberance. Well, there's exuberance in certain sectors, right? So there's we probably reached the the stage where there's exuberance in the in the tech market. But as I alluded to earlier, I mean, when you get 
beyond the the fairly limited sphere of the, of the tech market, I, I think people are still learning about edge computing. So it's I don't think it's got, got to the place of IoT or Bluetooth in the early years when everybody kind of had half an idea what it was what it was going to do and and got super disappointed when it didn't do that within eighteen months. So. I think there is a, a huge appetite for what edge computing can do. I hope there's not going to be. Uh, I, I think we have a, a more realistic view of things as a market, as a technology industry now, uh, and I hope there's not going to be that kind of trough that you've seen with other technologies. And I think actually some of the things that are happening around us, as we've alluded to in this podcast, uh, around COVID and so on, are actually going to, ensure that there is an earlier deployment of those systems anyway right so yeah uh, i don't see it as a as a peak and trough kind of thing i think see it as i mean it's there's going to be waves but uh, i don't think it's going to be super segmented in terms of the ups and downs in, in the user edge. yeah i think i think i agree with you you know you look at you know the other life cycles and you know everybody draws this curve I think Gartner made it famous uh, with their, yeah, yeah. their their peak and trough of disillusionment. But the, I think you're right. I think that that trough, it might be a little dip, but it's certainly not going to be a trough. And But I think the reasons for that are, I think you're right. It's a lot of the learnings that those of us who have been through three or four of these cycles. I can't think of an industry that's this big that has had so much cohesion and acceleration around open source code. And you think of the role that open source plays in a market, it is the foundation upon which everybody gets to build their products and differentiate around. And yeah. it's that that really ugly grunt work that no one company wants to spend the money to take on and doesn't have the time to take it on. So there's this collective mechanism that you know didn't exist really when the cloud was first being formed. I mean, you know, open source, open source was was Richard Stallman in the 80s. And it was like, you <laughs> give your stuff away, software's meant to be free. And it's only, you know, in the last decade that it's matured to this very different thing, which, yeah, it is free, but that's not the point. The point is, is that a bunch of industry players can get together and agree that, look, this is the part of the business that we don't want to compete on. You know, we don't, I, I use the 35 millimeter film because I grew up using, using film and like the film and the camera manufacturers all agreed that the sprockets were going to be, you know, the film was going to be 35 millimeters and the sprockets were going to be a certain distance. Nobody says, well, I'm going to build a certain kind of camera that's only going to take my film. Well, actually they did. I mean, Kodak made that, that camera that, that did, wasn't successful, that had the little rotating things, but, but by camera manufacturers agreeing on you know what the what the interface was between the the film and the camera camera manufacturers were free to go off and innovate on lenses and shutters and features and functions and film manufacturers were free to go innovate on you know emulsion processes and you know different chemical configurations and manufacturing techniques and that made a very robust industry just with that very very simple open source like interface. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see the same thing. But like I was just saying, I, I can't think of an industry where there's been so much clear agreement and cohesion on what are the core, what are the core supporting technologies that need to be developed and adopted in order for us all to have a platform. You know, you look at the the the, the telco industry. I mean, again, 10 years ago, telcos had to buy black box appliances, you know, from from the Nokia's and Ericsson world. Now they're doing oran yeah yeah it's a steady march of open source which is 
increasingly become it was it's becoming the new standards right so so it's interesting to to think about the the role of standards versus versus open source but i mean certainly open source is taking an increasing proportion of of that work and and accelerating that work and and right yeah i mean uh, open ran is becoming like an open source open source is going to drive 5g radio perhaps so i mean i think that's too early to make that call but certainly it's going to make a major contribution right so really interesting Line now. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. And so you think of that. Okay, so you think of the, the you know, why is this? Why is there not going to be a trough? So there's this, this, you know, really interesting precipitation in the open source industry that happened very fast. There is a lot of, you know, organizing around information education, the work that I'm doing at the State of the Edge, the work that you're doing at Topio. You have the pandemic, you have almost two decades of IoT buildup. So now we have lots of devices and we have lots of networks. And then you've got the, I guess, the maturation of, of AI, which, frankly, the only way to process all this data intelligently <laughs> and fast is to have a lot of AI. Yeah. And so you think of like, like all those converging forces, you know, makes for a really rich primordial soup from which to, you know, grow this amazing thing that we see edge computing. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few years. What are you most interested in? paying attention to over the next 18 months, a much shorter horizon. Definitely paying attention to user deployments, right? So, I mean, the retail space is going to be really interesting over the next 18 months. Uh, we've got a, a summit in the conference that's focusing on, on, on retail and looking at some of those stories because of the all the things we've discussed, you know, in, in the last 20 minutes or so, all, all of the all of the pressures and the automation that they're, they're taking on, but also other sectors, automotive. So connected cars are going to be, big if not autonomous cars and looking at how location pays into cars that's important in terms of edge computing lots of stuff going on in the industrial space lots of stuff going in on in the healthcare space so things increasingly being untethered right let's talk about healthcare what are you what are you seeing interesting happening in the healthcare space oh well on one side you've got um making sure i mean privacy is a driver of edge computing right so uh, keeping records private so that's that's important around hospitals but increasingly you know just to the covid point we're, we're seeing things done in an untethered way so you know monitoring patients from home that kind of stuff uh, and just making sure that, that we can analyze the data that we have around certain certain diseases certain pathogens etc uh, in a in a efficient methodology yeah, I mean it, it it seems plausible that that you know especially for things like viruses or now in California with the fires air quality we've got sensors that probably can detect or soon will be able to detect those those things in the air and with edge computing they could analyze and process that and alert people very quickly. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I can imagine that that being an important part of what's what's going what we're going to see in the future. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about drones earlier, right? So, you know, I hear about PG&E sending, needing weeks to send out guys and girls to go down all the power lines and find out what's happening. So, you know, if they, have they touched trees and stuff, well, why can't you just automate a drone to do that? Surely, you know, Yeah, I mean, we're working, on an, we're working on an autonomous drone project now for, for rail inspection and tower inspection. And, you know, you think about infrastructure inspection, you know, I, I don't know how, how often they do this, but I imagine the understructure of the Gold Gate Bridge is probably inspected once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. with with autonomous drones, you could do it twice a day if you wanted to. I mean, a, a drone mission is a fraction of the cost of sending a bunch of humans out to inspect the bridge. And it can do it in high resolution. It can build a 3D model with with LiDAR. You know, it can use infrared to potentially, you know, it, it's really kind of an interesting, it, it's really going to change 
a lot of just how people are employed, like what they actually do. Uh, a lot of jobs potentially are automated, mm-hmm. you know, robotic farms, robotic assembly plants, things like that, robotic infrastructure inspection. We've got a massive retraining task to take on, but the overall benefit to society just seems incredibly, incredibly powerful. Do you have anybody speaking at Edge Computing World about drones or, or edge computing in medicine? Well, we've got GE Healthcare, uh, the Chief Digital Officer of GE Healthcare, Emma Pandis, talking about edge computing medicine. We've also got uh, a professor from the University of Kentucky who's, who's in into the pathogen informatics space, who's covering edge computing as it relates to uh, diagnosis. And then, you know, drones, drones, very interesting space. So we're, we're acquiring speakers at the moment on that space. Terrific. So, you know, Edge Computer World, when, when is it? October 12th to 15th. Register at edgecomputerworld.com. Um, there's some free opportunities. It's completely free to users and uh, just a small fee for ecosystem folks to, to get to the, uh, the, uh, the tracks on, uh, on the, the vertical markets. And t- tell us about the developer day. What do, what do you do on the developer day? That, that sounded interesting. Uh, it's actually two days, so, so 12th and 13th. There's a variety of technical presentations. There's contributions from all of our, uh, many of our partners, like uh, the Linux Foundation, from the Eclipse Foundation, from the OpenStack Foundation, um, helping people understand the tools that are available to them to develop the edge. We've also got um, some great keynotes there. So we've got Alip Bhutan, who's actually CEO of Cadence Design Systems, but actually also one of the leading investors in edge computing. We've got our Startup of the Year competition, Edge Startup of the Year competition, and also the Edge Woman of the Year being announced on October 12th. Yeah, I'm pretty particularly excited about that because the State of the Edge is a co-sponsor of that award, and this is our second year doing it, and we have uh, 10 amazing finalists. So I'm excited to see who the who the judges pick. Yeah, absolutely. So Gavin, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast, spending some time spitballing the future of edge computing, telling us about edge computing world. For people who want to get a hold of you online, what's the best way to do that? Just Gavin Whitechurch, Gavin.whitechurch at topionetworks.com or um, and obviously you can reach out through topionetworks.com or you'll find me on LinkedIn. But yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Matt. It's been great to really interesting chat. Uh, really uh, really fascinating to talk some about uh, what the future of edge computing holds, whether that's a three-year or a five-year or a 20-year horizon, right? And I uh, uh, would love to meet everybody at Edge Computing World, so please come along. Yeah, we'll come back and do another version of this podcast in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, invite you back, we'll invite you back on for the 20th well, season. My, my beard will be even grayer by that point. Exactly. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven. Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate five stars and review, and share the show with someone you know who might enjoy it. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at overtheedgepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. In a rapidly growing digital economy and highly competitive market, you can't afford to offer a suboptimal digital experience to your customers. Catchpoint gives you a fast, easy, and proactive customer-centric view of how your web and digital assets are performing and all the data to optimize them. Learn more at www.catchpoint.com to test drive the solution and sign up for a free trial. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder, on October 14th, we're going to be bringing the Over the Edge podcast live to Edge Computing World. We'll be recording episodes from the event, and if you'd like to attend, 
The folks at Edge Computing World have given our listeners a generous 30% discount. So head on over to edgecomputingworld.com and use promo code OVERTHEEDGE, one word, for 30% off. There's also a link in the show notes.